Salo for Lava. This is Pacific Waves from RNZ Pacific. I'm Susana Suisuiki. Coming up... Very important to Tuvalu because fossil fuel is the main contributor. Australia's Prime Minister describes the treaty with Tuvalu as groundbreaking, but others aren't so sure. Also... For me and my family, we can't leave this island. We, we love to stay in our island. Fiji's outer island community are reluctant to leave despite climate change threatening their home. And later on, a Pacific aid map shows China have reduced spending in the region. But first, schools in Fiji will be closed Tuesday and Wednesday this week as a tropical depression approaching the country is expected to develop into a cyclone overnight. Parts of Fiji are already on gale alert as the depression east of the Solomon Islands is expected to develop into a cyclone and continue towards the Fiji Island group. Fiji Met Service forecaster Sefo Dharabo Vinaka says it's expected to reach Category 3 strength with average wind speeds surpassing 119 kilometres per hour. Our moment is the group uh, on storm alert, parts of western, northern, southern Viti Levu, Watulele, Kandavu and nearby smaller islands. So those are areas that might be on the front line for storm force winds uh, that is expected later Tuesday. The Fiji National Disaster Management Office is reporting several bridges and crossings are inaccessible. The office is calling on the public to stay away and avoid crossing flooded roads, rivers, bridges, crossings or walkways. The Fiji Roads Authority is warning that the heavy rain can lead to fallen trees, obstructing roads and footpath and is calling on people to please stay vigilant. As well as closing schools, all public servants have also been instructed to work from home from tomorrow and Wednesday. Tuvalu's Prime Minister is throwing everything he can at securing treaties with his Pacific neighbours before his country is submerged underwater. Australia has announced an agreement with Tuvalu which will allow 280 people per year a special mobility pathway to live, work and study in Australia. In return, Australia will have effective veto power over Tuvalu's security arrangements with any other country. Prime Minister Gausia Natano now wants to secure similar treaty arrangements with New Zealand. Lydia Lewis reports. The Tuvalu Prime Minister says he's doing everything he can to maintain Tuvalu culture, traditions and heritage, even when their land is long gone. We will uh, certainly use the same model to uh, negotiate with New Zealand and maybe Fiji or other neighbouring countries who can help us. Mr Natano has called out Australia for contributing to the loss and damage of the small island state. We'll be working together with Australia to look at it. It's very important to Tuvalu because fossil fuel is the main contributor to the global warming. He says the text of the treaty is yet to be finalised and he wants a commitment from the Australians that they will phase out fossil fuels. But we are aware, of course, that we cannot do it overnight. It's a a long process, but at least we have somewhere to start. Tuvalu this year amended its constitution to acknowledge there will come a time where all of its landmass would be swallowed up by the warming sea. Maintain our integrity, our culture, our traditions, our heritage. You know, we really want to maintain our identity. And as another cyclone develops in the Pacific, Pacific leaders are leaving the 52nd Pacific Islands Forum leaders meeting in Rarotonga without calling for bigger measures to phase out fossil fuels. 
Cook Islands, Palau and even U.S. leaders told me phasing down is more realistic for now. But for cyclone-ravaged Vanuatu, the need for action is ringing a lot louder. We're pushing for a phase-out. Phase-down is part of a phase-out, but the wording we need is phase-out. That's Vanuatu's Ralph Regenvanu. On top of that, he has some questions for the incoming New Zealand government on its intentions to restart fossil fuel exploration. Well, we call on them not to do it, to be in line with Paris, in line with 1.5 degree target. The science says you cannot do new fossil fuels. And another issue he wants to address is climate financing. The climate finance gap is huge. Mr Reganvanu says the high emitters especially need to contribute to help the most vulnerable countries. The incoming chair of the forum, Tonga Prime Minister Huakava Meiliku, agrees. Siossi Sovaleni says climate financing will be the main agenda item when leaders meet next in Tonga. So we need some kind of facility that we can easily access to actually provide that crisis mode support for some of the Pacific countries. A very real need for Tuvalu, staring down the prospect of losing their land, their home and identity. That is the only solution that we are looking at, to cut off their gas emissions, reduce the, the production of fossil fuel and coal, and of course put in more funds to the adaptation so that we can continue to develop Tuvalu to a level where citizen confidence they can continue to live in Tuvalu. It's a request that on the surface sounds so simple, to be able to live. His words echoed throughout Rarotonga, but have not yet penetrated the pockets of the world's biggest polluters. An article in the scientific journal Nature Climate Change says human rights in the Pacific are already being impeded due to global warming. It comes as cultural practices are being lost in Vanuatu and sea level rise is threatening communities in Fiji. Caleb Fotheringham has the story. Siroa Island, a five-minute boat ride from Fiji's mainland, sits just above sea level. It's home to about 150 people, forced with the prospect of moving as the ocean threatens to swallow the island. One of the villagers, Samisi Mandanawa, says climate change is being felt. The impact on the climate, we have seen the impact, eh? but we still manage to live here on the island. Water washes across the island during king tides and the seawall, which was built about 20 years ago, can no longer be relied on. When it comes, it floods the island. The water gets into the island. We have been experiencing some flooding in the island. We see the water going right into the island. Yeah, and we, we have seen some damages to the like uh, on the shoreline. Eh? Yeah, the soil get uh, washed away. In 2014, Fiji became the first Pacific Island nation to relocate a community because of rising sea levels. Now Sorua needs to grapple with it, even though villagers are reluctant to leave. Ancestors are buried on the land, and the island is entrenched in their identity. We have been uh, talking about uh, among ourselves, yeah? especially with the elders. We are planning to go out to move to the mainland. Another option is uh, we get uh, land reclamation or 
build a seawall and stuff like that. Ross Wastobi, one of the authors in an article published in Nature Climate Change, says climate change is already impeding on human rights in the Pacific. It follows the Vanuatu government seeking an advisory opinion from the International Court of Justice on the legal responsibility of countries to act on climate change. Ni Vanuatu people are already experiencing loss and damage to their fundamental human rights. The most severe damage is essentially the rights to Vanuatu people to have a healthy environment. The article says cultural practices in Vanuatu are being lost, like traditions associated with the yam harvest because of variability in growth times. Ross Bostobi says the ICJ submission was made during a year of multiple climate change-induced disasters. In terms of Vanuatu, it's a pertinent time. It's been devastated by three cyclones in eight months. It's considered one of the most natural hazardous-prone regions in the world. Back on Sarua, another villager has staunchly ruled out on relocating and believes her island will continue to survive, calling it a floating island. For me and my family, we can't leave this island. We, we love to stay in our island. Yeah? But in our heart, we know that nothing going to happen to our island. The advisory opinion from the world's top court on climate change and human rights will likely be formed early to mid next year. The latest Pacific aid figures from the Lowy Institutes reveal it's been a record-breaking year in terms of project commitments, with over 51 donors pledging around 5.5 billion US dollars to the region. Its updated 2023 Pacific aid map also shows China continuing to decrease its aid spend in the region, contrary to mainstream media narratives of Beijing's largesse in the region. One concern noted by the institutes is that donors are giving out less grants and more loans, which it flags as something to keep an eye on, given the already high levels of debt among countries in the region coming out of the pandemic. Kuroi Hawkins spoke with Lowy's Pacific Aid Map Project Director, Alex Dyant, about their findings. The aid map came, uh, came to be um, as a realisation that, you know, aid and development in the Pacific is not very transparent. There are, like, many different... Uh, development partners or donors uh, in the region, but there's not one place where you can actually see where, uh, who's doing what, to what extent. And so I guess uh, what the Pacific Aid Map does is that it traces aid and development finance from the international community to the Pacific. Uh, So we're tracing uh, what um, more than 80 development partners are doing in the region, uh, and those include, uh, you know, the traditional, what we call the traditional donors, such as Australia, New Zealand, uh, the United States, France. Uh, We're also looking at the multilateral development bank, like the ADB and the World Bank, but we're also looking at, like, what the non-traditional donors are doing, like China, like Taiwan, like the, the, like Russia. And I think uh, this is what we really differentiate us with others is that we we have like this whole holistic pictures of um, aid uh, to the Pacific and for and so for the first time we can really compare what New Zealand does in let's say uh, Kiribati with uh, what uh, what China does um, and I think it's uh, yeah it really helps policymakers uh, who are focusing on the Pacific in uh, better tailoring their, their, um, their policies with respect to aid and development in the region. Now, one of the big headline items, Chinese aid uh, continues to decline, and, and, and this is an ongoing decline that we've been seeing, but um, you're saying it's not necessarily reflective of 
China's growing influence. I don't know if there's a direct link between um, between you know aid and influence. I mean, it definitely helps. Uh, the, the the reality is that Pacific Island countries are among the most aid dependent in the world. Um, and so, if you're a country you want to you know create diplomatic relationships with the Pacific, like providing aid and development support is definitely a good thing. But you're right that uh, um, when we look at what China is doing in the Pacific, we've seen that uh, Chinese aid has peaked in 2016 and it's been decreasing since. Um, and so, yeah, like, uh, you know, there are many reasons behind this decline and we could go, uh, we could talk about this in, in, uh, later in the interview. But um, what we're seeing now is that um, the, so the Chinese financing is going down. Uh, and actually, one of the reasons why it's going down is that the the the, the project size of China are like uh, changing from you know like before there used to be like um, large infrastructure projects that would be worth around 40, 50 million dollars. Now, like uh, when we look at the average project size of China, it's around five million dollars. Uh, so they've really really shrinked in size. Um, but what we, what we found is that actually Chinese commitment, so like uh, the project that China has committed to implement in the Pacific, uh, the numbers of projects have, have actually increased. So despite the fact that its projects are like the getting smaller in size, like the numbers of projects is increasing. And so this basically tells us that you know China is uh, not going anywhere. If anything, uh, you know like what it does, what China and Beijing are doing, is that they're really focusing their attention on specific countries and on specific projects in those countries. This most dependent region um, in, in the world, is that new? Is that what, where the Pacific has always been? Or is there a greater reliance on well, aid? Yeah, no, it's unfortunate. I think like the the Pacific has always been reliant on you know external sources of income, so trade, tourism, remittances, but also um, aid and development finance. Um, one of the reasons behind this is that you know Pacific island countries are pretty small. Their economy, their economies are too small for you know traditional um, economic. Uh, for traditional growth, really, um, they are like remote from international markets, uh, and they're facing also like the you know dire consequences of climate change. So, in in a sense, uh, that makes the Pacific island countries among the most vulnerable uh, countries in the world. And so, as a as a result, it means that you know like they cannot uh, face by themselves uh, the 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 consequences of all those challenges in an amplitude that is uh, that is impactful enough and so that's why like they do need external support from uh, donors and those donors can uh, very often have been you know what we call the traditional donors so like australia and new zealand but over the over the past 10 15 years we've seen a resurgence or like sorry an increase in the role of uh, non-traditional donors led by china really in in, in the pacific but it's been it's become even more fragile now because uh, you know the the country uh, was uh, the, the 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 region was hit hard during the pandemic, which you know as I mentioned before, Pacific Island countries rely heavily on external sources of income. Well, during the pandemic, those external sources of income were shut down really, and so this meant that um, the government uh, government uh, revenues in the Pacific were very small. And reduced a lot, while the government expenditures uh, were actually increasing because you know uh, Pacific Island countries were supposed to finance uh, social protection programs and so forth. And this meant that the fiscal space in the Pacific has been reduced. Like Pacific Island countries were accumulating debts 
more and more and more um and uh and now like yeah we that's why like you know the the the, the support the increased support of the development partners have been very um very important that's Pacific Ways for today. To listen back, head over to rndi.com slash programs. We're also on Apple, Spotify and iHeartRadio podcasts. From myself and the RNZ Pacific team, it's all fast before.